Well, good morning, church. Let's, uh, let's do even better. If you know this, help me out. Josh, if at the battle of Jericho, 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 Josh, if at the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. All right. We know our text actually doesn't mention Joshua by name, but Joshua and the battle of Jericho are inseparable. We learn about this battle in the book of Joshua chapter 6. And so we're going to actually go back there and you can start turning if you like. Um, You can turn all the way back to Joshua chapter 1. That's where the story actually begins. But when you think of Joshua, we think of a man of courage, right? A man who inspired others to, to follow. But that courage that Joshua exhibited came from faith. So this morning we're going to look at the faith of Joshua at Jericho, and we're also going to look at the faith of the Israelites. So our sermon really has two parts. Uh, Part one will be the faith of Joshua, and then we're going to look at the faith of those who followed him into battle, God's way, the faith of the Israelites at Jericho. Now some of you know the answer, uh, because some of you were in the leadership ABF that uh, Gwen Armfield and I taught, but if there is one word that comes to mind for leadership, what is that word that comes into your mind? If you had to summarize leadership as one word, what would it be? Feel free to shout it out. Someone who wasn't in ABF too. Maybe I need to say someone who was. We'll see if you can remember. Summarize leadership in a word. A little louder. Servant. All right. Service. I heard the word courage. What else? I'm looking for another word, although those are good. Influence. That's right. Leaders influence people for good or for bad, right? And if you think about that, if you think about leadership means influence, if you want to look at it the other way, more of you are leaders than you realize, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're a child and you think, well, I'm not in a position of leadership. Well, are there people that you influence? Mothers, you are leaders, right? In fact, all of us have some kind of influence over others. Well, well, strong spiritual leaders influence other people to greater faith. And that's what we see in the life of Joshua. And so I, wanna, I want us to look at three points here as we consider Joshua's faith that gave him the courage and that gave him the ability to influence other people to do things that they would not have done on their own. Joshua was ultimately influenced by the promise of God, the, the promise of God that came to him at the very beginning of the book of Joshua. So let's look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The promise of God. And as I read this text, um, I, w- I want you to think about what promises do you see here that God makes Joshua, makes to Joshua. Well, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. 
From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Well, certainly we see a specific promise of land that God gave Joshua. This is the same land that God had actually promised to Abraham more than four centuries before, right? And the, the land that God had called Moses to, to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt into. And, and Moses and, and, and his people, if you recall, when they got to the edge of the land 40 years before, the people had rebelled. They said it, it's, it, it, they're giants in the land. The cities are too great. We can't take it. Because of their lack of faith in the Lord, God had sent them back and they'd wandered in the wilderness. But there were, there were two spies, two of the number of spies who had been sent in the land, one named Caleb and the other Joshua, who had said, the Lord is with us. We, we can take them with God's help. So during this time in the, in the wilderness, the, 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 the original folks who were men of war who had come out of, out of Egypt had died, and now their offspring are here at the edge of the Jordan ready to come back into the land. And Moses himself, because of disobedience and, and the lack of faith that that exhibited, had, had, God had said, you're not going to come into this land. I'll, I'll let you look at it, and you're going to go die on the mountain, and I'm going to use Joshua. And so now God gives Joshua that land promise. And he also promised him here victory, that no one would be able to stand against him. Right? Not because of Joshua's might, but because of God's might. But the greatest promise here was that the Lord would be with him. He said, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And that's our second point here. The, the promise of God, the greatest promise was his presence. The presence of God. He ends this uh, first revelation to Joshua in verse 9 by saying, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And, and there were things that were in Joshua's future that could be frightening. But he was telling him, I will be with you. I will fight for you. And of course, we know that this battle at Jericho was a visual demonstration of that spiritual reality, of that very promise that God would be with him and that God would fight his battles for him, and that he would never leave him. And you know, this, this reminds me of Jesus Christ, who, when he gave us a mission, his church, right before he ascended into heaven, the very last words that we read in, in the Gospel of Matthew, after the Great Commission, is, behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And so we, and you, if you are in Christ, have this very promise to, uh, that, that he will be with you. Whatever the battles ahead may look like, if you are following his calling, if you have a relationship with him, he, he is with you. And that means he is even fighting for you. Well, Joshua took courage and he did exactly what God told him to do. We read, if you keep reading in Joshua chapter 1, he, he, he went into the camp and he told everybody to saddle up. In, in three days, we're moving out. We're crossing the Jordan into a very dangerous land. And we're going to take it. If you look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 10, 
we actually see these words. We, re- we read that Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now I want you to stop and just think about the context here. Okay, This was not a seasoned military. All right, with a whole lot of military equipment. I mean, they, they had weapons, but these were people who had been nomadically living in a wilderness for 40 years. Okay, surviving off the manna that God had provided and, and water sources that they had to find. And sometimes God provided as well, if you recall, from the rock. All right, not a seasoned army, um, a, a large group of people who are going to cross a river and, and, and are going to have to take cities that are fortified, right? Not an easy feat, all right? And they got three days now to basically prepare their provisions, pack up their tents on their backs, and if they have any kind of livestock or, or animals to help, and, and, and they're going to cross the Jordan into this, into this land. Now, do you think that could maybe instill fear? Do you think there could be a sense of what, what are we about to get into here? Are we going to be just annihilated? Well, we, we read that the people committed to follow Joshua. But notice that their primary reason for following Joshua was the Lord was with them. In fact, I'm going to read to you verse 17 of Joshua chapter 1. Notice here that they really encouraged Joshua. They encouraged Joshua of their fidelity and their allegiance to him. But they, they really wanted him to follow God wholeheartedly. Right? They, they wanted God's presence to be with him. So in verse 17 they say, Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Exclamation point. Boy, what a, I mean I read that as a pastor. And I thought, wow, what a, what, a, what a responsibility. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So in chapter 2 of Joshua, we, we read the story of the spies. He sends two spies. They cross the Jordan River, do some recon ahead of them. Uh, they actually sneak into the city of Jericho. They lodge with the prostitute Rahab, who shelters them and actually protects them, protects them and, and says, hey, I know that the Lord is with you. And, 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 and remember, remember me and my family. Please protect me and my family. And they, they swear to her an oath that they will. And we're going to look at that story next week as we consider the faith of Rahab. Then in chapter th- 3, all of the Israelites, following God's specific instructions, um, cross the Jordan River. And then in chapter 4, at God's command, instead of just you know, marching right up to the city and attacking it, they actually take time to erect 12 memorial stones from the Jordan River. The Lord, again, assuring them that, hey, it's going to happen. You're going to take this land, and, and you need to remember this day um, for centuries to come. And so let's set up a monument that will help you remember my faithfulness to you. And then in chapter 5, after crossing the Jordan River, God commanded that the men should be circumcised as a sign of the covenant with God. And then they all kept the Passover. Now let me just remind you that this is on the west side of the Jordan River. Right? Not the east side of the Jordan River. This is on the side of the Jordan River where they could be subject to attack from seasoned armies coming out of fortified cities. This is where 
God has them fulfill this sign of the covenant. The, the original men who had come out of Egypt had all been circumcised as a sign of the covenant, but their children had not, and it had been 40 years. And so they, 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 in obedience to God, do this thing. And then at the end, after everybody had healed up, at the end of chapter 5, Joshua goes out on a recon mission. And I, I love the fact that Joshua was a man who led from the front. So he, he goes out to, to have a look up close at this fortified city. And we read in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Now, I, I love again the fact that Joshua doesn't fade away here. He, he, he goes right up to him. A, a, man, with a man with a sword, uh, and he's not sure who this guy is, um, most likely in armor. And we see that, that I, I can imagine Joshua's got his hand on the hilt of his sword as he approaches him. And he says, friend or foe, who are you? And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And, and I love even more the response is, <laughs> you got it all wrong, buddy. He says, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not from Jericho. I'm not from the camp of Israel. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now first read, and certainly there are folks who think this, you may think, wow, this must have been like the archangel Michael. But the early church fathers, the Protestant reformers, and plenty of others, including myself, think that this was most likely a theophany, meaning an appearance of God himself in human form. Perhaps a Christophany, meaning an actual pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus in Revelation, not, just the, not, not, not Jesus the, the carpenter, but Jesus the warrior. And Joshua has a conversation with him. Notice here that there is no rebuke for Joshua's worship, which is what we normally see from angels. If you look at, you know, even in Revelation, you see John falling down before an angel and worshiping. In other places, the angel is always very quick to say, get up. Do not worship me. I am a creature as well. A created being. Worship God alone. We don't see any rebuke for Joshua's worship. Now, some will note that Perhaps the Hebrew word could be translated paid homage versus worshipped. But I see some other things here. The original text, remember, has no chapter-verse divisions, right? That, that came later. That, that's, th those are not exactly inspired, the actual verses and chapter divisions. These were uh, done later, by much later actually, by, by folks trying to kind of help us best summarize ideas and, and find places and references. So if you don't Think about uh, the fact that you have a, a division between chapter 5 and chapter 6 in this context. And verse 1 here is just kind of a parenthetical statement that, hey, Jericho was shut up because the people feared Israel, right? They had heard about God's parting of the Jordan, and this was a 
big group of people who've, who've come and they've heard about this, this God who fights for them. But you look at the conversation here, verse 2 we read, and the Lord, that would be Yahweh, notice that it's capitalized, said to Joshua. So I think from the actual context, you have Joshua receiving his specific instructions from the Lord in this theophany, this appearance of God in human form. But the most telling thing to me is verse 15. This was the response that Joshua got from the commander of the army of the Lord when, when Joshua, after he declared himself to Joshua, here's what he says. He says, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. What, what does that remind you of? It's Moses at the burning bush, right? Joshua's mentor. And so in, in, in chapter one, the Lord, in, in, in some unknown way, we were talking about this as a family last night, um, how did God, before this, reveal himself to Joshua? Because we see several different times in which he's given instructions, right? Was it a dream? Was it a, a vision? Was it a, a voice coming from heaven? We don't know, but we do know that it was specific revelation. You know, it wasn't like, you know, hey, was that bad, you know, falafel or something? Or, no, it was very clear. It wasn't just a crazy dream, right, before. Well, now you actually have a, a God in, in, in human form specifically instructing him right um, and it would have reminded Joshua of the way that God had first appeared to Moses at the burning bush but this is even more vivid human form God the warrior and it would have steeled Joshua's resolve for his mission the, the Lord had already told him to be strong and courageous and that he would be with them but now he gives him a human form to show him with a sword showing him that now God was with him, and now it was time to strike. You see, true spiritual courage comes from an encounter with God. And if, if you're here this morning and you are truly a Christian, you have had an encounter. You've had a spiritual encounter with God. And so I'd ask you this morning, whether you've been a Christian for a little while or for a long time, is God's presence in your life today stronger than the other voices that you may hear of others. Do you fear the Lord? Or do you fear more what others may think? True spiritual courage comes from having an encounter with God. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Looking up at the walls of Jericho, the Israelites and Joshua would have seen a fortified city. Archaeologists who studied the remains of what we think was Jericho have actually found a, a city in the approximate area with evidence of walls actually collapsing outward as opposed to inward, which the way it would have happened from a, from a successful attack. All right. Uh, there's actually, there's some, you know, there, there's some controversy among archaeologists about dating and all that kind of stuff and trying to sync it all up. But, but there, there's a city that has been found that, that has the evidence of walls that utterly collapsed outwardly, right? Um, it was actually one of the oldest inhabited cities, uh, in fact, if I understand right, the oldest fortified city that, that, that has been discovered, uh, yet discovered on the earth. Also the lowest city, I think something like 
700 feet below sea level. But during the day, they talk about this great tower that the walls all adjoin towards, right? So in its day, uh, understanding the journey the children of Israel had been on for the last 40 years in the wilderness, it's likely they had never seen a fortified city before. And so seeing this city would have been intimidating. But with the eyes of faith, Joshua knew that God would fight for him. And we know the end of the story. God fought for them. The, the walls came tumbling down. And when those walls fell, so did all the archers that were on those walls. And the threat to their lives was seriously diminished. And the, the battle, which had always belonged to the Lord, was, was greatly in favor of the Israelites. And so all of this came from the presence of God, but was due to, and our third point with Joshua's faith, was the power of God. God gave Joshua some very precise instructions on how they would take this fortified city. And these instructions that God gave Joshua were designed not as battle plans for us today, right? I mean, I don't recommend you try to contextualize this into any kind of like physical battle plan today, all right, for your military folks who are here this morning. What this was all about was ensuring that the people understood that the battle belonged to the Lord. So let's look at these instructions that we get in chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make the long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then shall all the people shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. In other words, when those walls fall, it's going to be so devastating that, that and I'm presuming that, that the, 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 bear in mind the people of Israel are a huge company. They would have likely had this whole city entirely surrounded when they were marching around it. Okay, They were to all run up and go straight up into the fight with a great advantage. Now in these instructions, you have to notice the number seven here. Right? I mean, I, I counted it four times in these instructions from the Lord. This number seven. And, and then we, we see in the Bible, the number seven is really the number that belongs to God. It represents perfection. Most, probably what comes to your mind would be creation. God created the earth in seven days. Actually, six days that he labored and one that he rested. We, we see this theme of seven repeated throughout the Old Testament. Seven days that Moses, when he went up on Sinai, he waited for God to reveal himself and the law to, to him, right? Because seven was the perfect number. So the idea here is that, that the seven days here shows perfection or completion, or you could say God's involvement here. God wanted Joshua to understand and the Israelites to understand that he owned this operation. Here we see God depicted to Joshua as God the warrior. This, this operation of taking this fortified city wasn't just a military operation. It was also a spiritual operation. 
God was entering the land and cleansing it of its great wickedness and was actually setting up his kingdom on earth. And we look forward to the day in which Christ's return again as a warrior and once again will rule from the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down to this earth. And one day our kingdom, his kingdom, which is a spiritual kingdom, will once again become a physical kingdom. But until that day, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, some scholars think that this idea of seven days was also God giving the Canaanites time to repent. As, as they saw this visual demonstration of God coming in and owning this land, just like Rahab had repented and, and, and all of her family's lives were spared, would have been an opportunity. Remember, God is a just warrior, but he delights in mercy over judgment. And so they, they, had, a visual, they, had, they had a visual image, and they had an opportunity here of, of God, in a sense, uh, 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 withholding, his, his, his wrath, withholding his wrath for seven days in which they could have come out and repented from their wickedness. And these were wicked people. These were people involved in infant sacrifice, idolatry. This was a wicked land. We read in Joshua chapter 6, verse 15, that on the seventh day, the Israelites rose early, and at the dawn of day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Joshua didn't hold back in that moment. Joshua's faith motivated and galvanized the faith of others. So never underestimate the the power of a man of faith or of a woman of faith to inspire others to faith. One pastor wrote, one person's faith can raise the level of a whole church. Let's look at the faith of the people that Joshua inspired, another angle of faith here at Jericho, and that would be the faith of the Israelites. And I'd like to make three points here about the Israelites' demonstration of faith. We know that Joshua's faith came from the promise of God, it came from the power of God, and it came from the presence of God. Let's look at the faith of the Israelites. Well, first of all, they obeyed God's commands. They obeyed God's commands. Now this was an unconventional battle plan that the Lord gave to the Israelites. Now, we, we have some military folks in our church. Uh, we actually have some commanders in our church. What kind of battle plan was this? You know, the, the folks who, who enacted this battle plan, they, they had a lot of time. They had a, a lot of, probably a probably hundred ideas that would have percolated in their minds over the years as they would have discussed, how are they going to take this land, right? I mean, you know, coming from the east, crossing the Jordan River, uh, how are they going to attack these fortified cities? And I can tell you this, not being a military man, but I can tell you this, this plan was not one of them. I can tell you this, circumcision is not a great way to prepare yourself for combat, okay? Um, 
not the way I would have done it. How, how, do you lay, how do you lay siege to a city, right, back in the day? Well, catapults sound good, but you know what? The catapult wasn't invented until about 400 AD by the Greeks, okay? So you didn't have catapults, you know, where you could from a, from a distance lob rocks or super, you know, try to set fire to the inside of a, of, of, of a city. The, the Jewish people didn't have the military technology for battering rams and, and siege mounts. So back in this day, which is way back in the day, before a whole lot of military technology had been invented, basically the way you took a city was you surrounded it, you tried to cut off the, the water supply if you could, but Jericho, archaeologists tell us, had, had, had great wells, and you did your best to, to starve them out, right? And, and keep any trade, any food coming in or, or coming out. And then when you finally did attack, if they didn't come out and sue for peace, you had to use ladders and, and ropes and, and maybe ramps if you could build, build those. And, and of course, you know, think about where the Israelites had come from. The, the wilderness, not a whole bunch of trees to build ladders with. Um, I don't know how many ropes they would have had, probably some. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of equipment for this kind of thing. But they followed God's command to a T. So look at verse 8 of Joshua chapter 6. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. So just a reminder again, this is what that would have looked like. You would have had soldiers in front, the armed men of the camp, not the women and kids, um, the old, you know, the, the, those who weren't necessarily able, you know, maybe those who are sick uh, or infirm or back of the camp. So the armed men, um, uh, one division's in front, and then you have seven priests blowing on shofars, followed by the ark, followed by a rear guard of soldiers. And six days they would have marched around the perimeter. And Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So kids, imagine that, right? Can you imagine that? Six days without saying a word, right? Six days of marching around a city, People most likely jeering at you, you know, shouting out, you know, come a little closer, right? So they can hit them with an arrow. And you can't make a noise. You can't say a thing. The only noise was to hear the shofars, these seven priests. And I actually feel for them. They probably got a little bit tired, you know. I mean, that's a lot of, you know, you know, it's a whole lot of blowing, for seven days, and that surely they endured mockery from the walls as they obeyed the Lord. The, the absurdity of it all, maybe some of these men questioned, maybe they wondered inside, what are, what are we doing? There may have been a battle going on inside some of their minds. I mean, from a human perspective, this is a pointless exercise, walking around the city day after day. I'm sure from the from this perspective of the city, they would have seen this army coming. And, and if you crunch the numbers, okay, the, 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 the Israelites had a lot of men. 
okay? There were a lot of people here in, in the camp of Israel. And, and so when we think of cities, and, and you know, you might think of like a medieval city. Well, the cities back then, there weren't as many people around, okay? So the, 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 the whole, the excavation site of the, what we think is the city of Jericho is only about five or six acres in size, okay? So they could have encircled that city within about 30 to 45 minutes at a distance, safe enough distance from Aeroshot. So it's very, you know, we don't know how, how broad, how, how, how wide the breadth of the column was, but probably quite wide and probably totally wrapped around the city, maybe even more than once, okay? I mean, there might have been a little bit of, you know, stumbling over each other a little bit as they were doing this. I mean, you know, they weren't exactly, um, what do you call it, the, the flag team or the, you know, a, band, a marching band, right, uh, in terms of practice. So at first it would have been incredibly intimidating being on a wall and you see this huge army coming towards you, but then day after day, they're just walking around blowing on their seven shofars. I'm sure there's all kinds of mockery coming from the walls, right? I mean, God's plans don't always make great sense to us. I mean, I'm a pastor in a day of, of social media and in a day of great ADD with phones, and here I talk to you for 40, 45 minutes. From a human perspective, this is, a, is not the most effective way to do it. Right? I mean, we ought to have a really cool video, snazzy video, or, or 4D experience coming on. You come in, and some of you sleep, but most of you are listening. And, and, I, and I, no offense, um, I, 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 I come in here and, and, and get to talk to you, and, and, and this is what God has ordained. I believe that His Spirit has got to somehow make something amazing happen in, in your hearts. So this would have been pointless for these, these guys, walking around the city day after day, except that they believed that God had commanded it. And they had seen God's power. They had seen God dry up the Jordan so they could cross it, which would have reminded them of a miracle that they had heard about from their parents, of the, of the, of the opening of the Red Sea, right? So what about your faith seems absurd if you don't really believe? What about tithing? Giving 10% that the first fruits of your income, especially when you're, you know, settling your accounts or maybe you're a little bit short or it's tax time and, and, and suddenly that, that tithe doesn't help you out so much with Uncle Sam as it used to maybe. Um, tithing might not make sense to you. Like, man, I, I could use this money on a trip to Disney World instead of giving to the Lord and, 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 and worshiping him in this way. By the way, when we... When we we, we won't pass the plate these days. We have boxes, but when we have the prayer for our missionaries, this is a, a prayer for the spiritual act of worship of our giving, which many of you do online or you do in the boxes as you leave. And, and I want to thank you for your faithfulness. But that doesn't always make sense to, to, to our flesh. Or what about, what about chastity? You're a dude, you're a lady. You're in a relationship, you love this person, uh, you got hormones. Uh, the, the world tells you, hey man, if you, love, if, you, if you love her, of course, sleep with her, right? Uh, chastity doesn't make sense unless you really believe in God. You believe that God's ways work and that God designed sex as a beautiful expression of committed love in a committed marriage, right? There's a lot of things that don't make sense to us that God has ordained if we don't believe, truly believe with our hearts 
in his presence, like prayer. I think the amount of energy and time that we put into prayer may be an indicator of our faith. Right? Somebody said that prayer is faith breathing. Right? I mean, why, why would you spend time? Pray, I, I mean, it makes a whole lot more sense to spend time doing good things, like teaching kids how to, how to, how to, how to do math at the heights, which is a great thing, or cutting trees off houses after a hurricane. Right? That's a good thing. Things that we can do and measure. But, but praying is a total waste of time, unless God is real and is really listening because of Christ, and is omnipotent, all-powerful. And if you really believe that, prayer is the most, makes the most sense out of anything you could do, right? Especially when you're in need, or someone you love is in need. Nothing makes more sense if you believe. What about forgiving an enemy? That, doesn't, that totally goes against the flesh. Or being willing to suffer. That entirely goes against our culture. Being willing to suffer. For righteousness' sake, that does not make sense to us. I'd rather, you know, saddle up with John Wayne or, or, you know, load up with Clint Eastwood, take care of business. But being willing to be the underdog, take the lower position, that doesn't make sense to us unless we believe in a God who truly fights for us. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know, you got to wonder if Paul's thinking about Jericho when he writes that. Kent Hughes writes, the scriptures reveal a spiritual law. Disobedience reveals our unbelief, but obedience to God evidences our faith. When difficult circumstances assail us, unbelief draws from the arsenals of the world. Whereas faith causes us to take up the armor of God and to join the absurd march around Jericho. So the children of Israel demonstrated their faith through obedience. And here's, here's the thing at Jericho. Attacking a fortified city back in the day was a dangerous business. All right. Um, I mean, if there's an army attacking a fortified city a lot of your army is going to die trying to get up those walls. Those people in that city, they want to live. Okay, if you're successful, they are not going to live. So they're going to throw everything down on you that they've got. And believe me, they've got piles of rocks. They got all kinds of objects. They may have hot oil or whatever they got up there. Arrows, they are sending it your way. They're going to do everything they can to keep you from scaling those walls. It's dangerous business trying to go up against the city. The battle plan here that God gave Joshua was designed, first of all, for his own glory, to demonstrate that this was God fighting for them. This was his power, not theirs. But also, it was designed for protection. This absurd battle plan wasn't absurd because the God that they believed in was real and fought for them, and it actually protected them, it protected their lives. All they had to do was walk around the perimeter outside arrow shot. And the Israelites demonstrated their faith through their obedience. But they didn't just obey God. They treasured God's presence. That's the second point here. You know, it would have been hard, as we've already said, not to be intimidated. In fact, 
We, we know that this is one of the things that intimidated the spies 40 years before. In Numbers 13, we, we actually read that. They came back and talked about the giants and the fortified cities. So they see this city, and they, they, they know that these are they're, they're trained warriors in this city with better equipment and more experience than they had. But they had the Ark of the Covenant. Eleven times, chapter 6 of our text mentions the Ark of the Covenant. All right, that's a very important part of this procession. Remember, you had, you had in a sense, the, 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 the forward guard, the rear guard, in the very middle of this procession that was marching around the city, you had the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark represented the very presence of the Lord. Look back to verse 8 with me in Joshua chapter 6. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, it says before the Lord, not before the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord, but here it actually says before the Lord. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant in their minds was the Lord's presence, represented the Lord himself. They went forward blowing the trumpets. The, the, the trumpets themselves that were called shofars, right? And they go back to Sinai, Mount Sinai, when God revealed himself to, to Moses and gave the law. There was a great trumpet blast. And so the shofars would have, again, announced with audibly God's presence. And so their confidence came from God's presence among them. But notice they didn't just respect his power, they, they treasured it. There was a sense even though they knew that it was God fighting for them, there's a sense in which they guarded God's presence with a forward guard and a rear guard to demonstrate that they treasured the Lord's presence in their midst. So are you aware of God's presence in your own life? Do, do you treasure that presence? It's what gives us confidence in our obedience, even when it goes against our culture. It's what keeps us from sin, an awareness of the presence of God. So they treasured God's presence, and they declared God's power. So Joshua shouted in verse 16, and now we see in verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They declared with their mouths, with that shout, God's power. Notice in Romans chapter 9 and 10, which is a, a text that we often go to as we try to explain to people the gospel and what must you do to be saved, right? Uh, Romans, Paul wrote to the Roman church, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice the mouth side of this, right? We, we emphasize the heart, and rightly so. Uh, plenty of people make professions of faith that are false with their mouths. Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you, right? And, and so, so a, a false profession with the mouth without true faith or belief in the heart is not going to get you there. It's not salvific. But declaring our faith is essential, you can't just quietly believe and not tell anybody, right? He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
So we too should declare faith in, God, in God's power with our mouths. And the, 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 the result here was a complete victory, complete success, because the Lord fought for Joshua and for the Israelites. Well, maybe there are walls in your life that are keeping you from accomplishing God's calling, His, His will. You know, when we study the, 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 the book of Joshua and particularly the faith that he exhibited at Jericho, Joshua serves for us as a type of Christ. The, the name Joshua, Yeshua, is, is where the name Jesus came from, right? And, and, and the picture of Joshua as a, as a deliverer, as a warrior, points us to our great hero, Jesus Christ. And if you call out to Jesus in faith, if you declare with your mouth your faith in him, if you treasure him above all else, if you obey him and keep his commandments, show your love for him, he will deliver you. The Lord can bring down whatever wall there may be in your life through the same kind of faith that we see at Jericho. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the faith of Joshua. Lord, that we would truly believe in your promise. That we would truly savor your presence in our lives. Father, I, I, I pray that we would believe that you are more powerful than the foe or than any obstacle that we face in our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't yet have a uh, relationship with you, I pray that today would be the day that they would confess their sins and that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for them on the cross, that he conquered death and rose from the grave, and that they would be born again into a new and living life. Lord, I pray that you would be honored in our worship uh, uh, the remainder of this service, and Lord, I pray that you'd be honored uh, through the worship of our lives this week. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.